0: RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. This episode of Mission Log is sponsored by Mint Mobile. Cut your wireless bill to as little as 15 bucks a month at Mintmobile.com slash Mission Log.
1: Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek Podcast. Episode 326. Visionary.
0: into mission log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray, and I'm John Champion. Each week, we watch an episode of Star Trek, taking it apart
2: for ideas and ideals, and seeing whether the episode stands the test of
0: time. This week, Visionary, the one where Miles O'Brien pulls a Billy Pilgrim, and the Romulans. Well, oh, they're just so Romulan, aren't they?
2: No, oh, they are indeed. I've got trivia coming up in a bit, but first. But first.
0: I'm going to let you know how to get in touch with us. Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. Our email address is at com. Our show website, including discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember... We may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log.
2: Ken. Ken. John. Ken. Hey, uh, while you were giving the contact info, I got some news for you. Uh, I stopped by to see me from the future.
0: Really? How you doing? Well, I, I'm I'm a little worried.
2: Uh, in fact, uh, from what I've heard, we probably shouldn't do the show.
0: Oh, John. We have to do the show. Don't you see? We have to do what we have to do. And, and, and even as scary as it might be, even though we know things might go wrong, that's got to start with you doing trivia.
2: Whew. All right, here we go trivia for today's episode visionary well the story credit goes to ethan h kalk now this is one of just a handful of professional credits for ethan uh he pitched this story in his first meeting with the ds9 staff incidentally ethan was uh he was a school teacher living in texas at the time when he uh, cooked up this idea now specifically he pitched this to renee echevarria who loved it loved the concept save for a few changes like switching up Nausicans for romulans and odo for o'brien while ethan's got one more ds9 credit coming up uh, he then went on to contribute stories to a few star trek fan films now the teleplay is by john shirley interesting here that john shirley is primarily known as a novelist with several titles in the cyberpunk world He also penned scripts for Batman Beyond and he wrote the screenplay for the movie The Crow. He was a friend of Ira Stephen Bear and he had not yet done a teleplay. So this is sort of a trial by fire for him. And it's funny because Ira uh, told his friend John, he was like, hey, I'm going to bring you in because you've never written a teleplay before and you really want to. And I hope that you don't hate it by the end of the process or hate me by the end of the process. Uh, The word is that. John kind of hated doing the job, but he and I remained friends, so all is good there. Now, uh, uncredited, it was Ronald D. Moore who gave the script its final polish. Uh, this episode is directed by Reza Badi, and of course, we've mentioned Reza several times and uh, how he has directed several DS9s back to back almost. Now, you've got some really nice, expensive, and practical special effects in this episode the destruction of deep space nine so the effects team had the molds that they had used to create that original model the one that we usually see all lit up and looking gorgeous so they made two more models from that one uh, only they made it with a more brittle plastic than the usual fiberglass and they didn't rig it with all the extensive and very costly lighting setup that they have on the hero model So they suspended the models and put in no fewer than 10 explosive charges each, all set to detonate with less than half a second delay. So you shoot it all at high speed and you get a long, glorious series of explosions. We didn't even see all of it on screen. They they cut it only after just a few. Uh, The second one that they created was just there as a backup and an alternate take if they needed it. And that was, of course, a very expensive effect to do. And what was otherwise a bottle show to save money and uh, to save even more where they were able to. Well, they did a few other tricks, like uh, since we have a double of. Miles O'Brien here, played by Meaney, uh they made sure to limit very severely the number of times you actually see the two on screen together. Uh, that was to save shooting days in what would otherwise be a very expensive process, doing two setups for every take. Now, let's talk about guest stars. We've got three Klingons hanging out on DS9. Uh, there's Morka. Played by Ray Young. He did a lot of TV guest roles in the 70s through the 90s. If you remember the Sid and Marty Croft uh, Saturday morning series Bigfoot and Wild Boy, well, he played Bigfoot. Sadly, we lost Ray in 1999, but he did contribute his voice to the Starfleet Academy video game, and that was his last credited project. We also have Borak, played by Bob Miner. Shout out to Bob from my hometown of Birmingham, Alabama. And if you add up all the professional credits he has as a stuntman and an actor, well, you're topping out at nearly 300. This might be his only Trek credit, but seriously, you've seen him dozens of times, even if you didn't know it. Now, there's also Atul, played by Dennis Madalone. Like Bob, Dennis is also an actor slash stuntman with just a tremendous number of credits to his name. What's different about Dennis, though... He's actually the stunt coordinator on the whole series. Now, he started with the Trek franchise on TNG as an uncredited actor, but soon after he's performing in more physically demanding roles, and eventually he's stunt coordinator for that series, which led to the same position on DS9 and Voyager. Now, let's meet the Romulans. We have two diplomats. There's Ruan played by Jack Shearer, who we should also recognize at least a little bit. He was in the movie First Contact as Starfleet Admiral Hayes, a character he'll play again in Voyager. He also turns up as the Bolian ambassador in the DS9 episode The Forsaken, those just being a small part of his long TV and film career. And finally, we have Annette Held as Karina, She's mostly a stage actor, but her on camera credits include more than one Trek. She was also in First Contact in a bit role as a guard, and later she will again appear in DS9 and in Voyager in different character roles.
1: Well, I do not know about you, but I think that that show went great. Now, let us start the show.
2: Chief O'Brien is revived by Dr. Bashir after an accident. Seems like a plasma conduit blew up on him, leaving him with a light case of radiation poisoning. He'll be fine, though, as long as he gets some rest. Elsewhere on DS9, a group of drunk Klingons have shown up asking to crash for a while since they've got computer problems on their ship. This happens just as a delegation of Romulans arrive for an intelligence briefing about the Dominion. And they are just as warm and cuddly as all the other Romulans, which is to say, not at all. Since he's off from work, O'Brien is spending time at Quark's, putting up... What's this? The dartboard! Yes, space darts are coming to Quark's. Quark doesn't get it, but O'Brien tries to explain the game, and then something weird happens. He sort of disappears and reappears, then watching himself get an earful from Quark about repairing the suites after the Klingons drop by. In an instant, it's over, and the chief, back in front of the dartboard, passes out. Act 1. Again, Dr. Bashir says O'Brien will be fine, just some residual effects from the radiation dose he got. And as for the weird hallucination about himself talking to Quark, well, it might have felt real, but it was just a weird hallucination. Down to business with the Romulans. There's two diplomats, Ruan and Karina, and they're here to get as much information about the Dominion as they can. It is, after all, the only reason the Romulans agreed to let the Federation borrow a cloaking device. They want to know everything, even the classified stuff. They also want to know what's up with Odo, since he's a changeling, and the founders are changelings, and the founders are the ones behind the Dominion. Sisko and Kira immediately defend Odo but this diplomatic meeting is off to a rocky start. On the promenade, Quark bumps into Chief O'Brien with a complaint about Klingons trashing a holosuite, just like the Chief saw before his hallucination. Only this time, the O'Brien who saw this play out before is there, plain as day, on the other side of the promenade, watching it all happen again. Freaky. Even Quark is like, "Uh, forget it, you need to deal with that. So it's time to take that seriously. Dax says she did find evidence of a temporal distortion near Quark's at both times the chief had his experience. Apparently, O'Brien from a few hours ago saw what he'd be doing in the future, then future him, now, just saw him doing that. Oh, it's so about to get wibbly-wobbly. As Dax says the medical records might reveal an effect from the radiation he took, boom, there it goes again. O'Brien finds himself in corks bar watching a big fight go on. He sees himself get punched by a Klingon, then joins in the fight, too, where punched, future O'Brien tells this O'Brien to look out just as a chair hurls past his head. And just like that, the chief is back in the present and passes out again. Act two. So the good news... Well, we now know that Chief O'Brien is time-shifting because of this accident. The bad news? Those jumps are messing with his cells and might kill him. But hey, Dax is working on it. The Romulans are driving Kira up the wall. They want access to all records of the dominion and the Gamma Quadrant, access to the Defiant and her crew, even access to personal logs. Sisko is cooperative to a point but he definitely draws a line at personal logs. Kira asks why they don't just go into the Gamma Quadrant and check it out for themselves, but the commander reminds her that the Romulans like to sit back and pull strings, presumably while everyone else does the work. He just wants her to be diplomatic, which she says she always is. Cut to Kira in a briefing room with the Romulans, where she's yelling back at them once they accuse her of abandoning the Defiant when it was attacked by the Jim Hadar, and then somehow of getting special protection from Odo because they might have a... relationship? Yeah, Kira loses it. The questions are inappropriate. They can have their cloaking device and go home. In Quark's, Dr. Bashir and O'Brien are playing darts while O'Brien is brooding about the upcoming fight he definitely witnessed earlier in his time jump. Sure enough, in walks some rowdy Klingons who immediately start antagonizing the Romulans. At that very moment, Kira is letting Odo know just how uncomfortable her interrogation by Ruan was, about him in particular, when a call comes in for Odo to send security to Quark's bar. That fight we saw earlier is now playing out again with the exact same interplay between the two Chiefs O'Brien. Odo comes in to break it up, and just then a funny thing happens. The present Chief O'Brien, who was knocked to the floor before, jumps yet again into the future and sees himself opening up a wall panel in one of the corridors. He says hello to his future self, just when that Miles O'Brien opens the panel and is struck down by a beam weapon of some sort. Later, present-day Miles wakes up in the infirmary to the doctor telling him he's going to be fine. No, he's not, he says. In a few hours, he'll be dead. Act 3. Miles takes Odo and Sisko to have a look at the location where he saw his future self get zapped. Opening the panel, everything looks okay, so we're back to square one. The only thing we do know is that the chief has been jumping in time about five hours ahead, which means whatever happens to this panel will happen in a few hours' time. Odo will see if he can set up some surveillance to catch whomever lays the booby trap. Checking in with Dax, she may have made some progress in figuring out what happened to the chief in the first place. She's found tetrion emissions that could either have come from a neutron star or a quantum singularity, But it's really hard to find, like it's buried deep down in a subspace layer. There's little hope, though. Dr. Bashir says a singularity could be pulling on O'Brien like a magnet because of all the Delta series radio isotopes he absorbed during the conduit breach. And oh, there's just a lot of teching to be done. But Bashir could possibly neutralize the effect. Kira reports in that she moved the Romulan delegation to quarters in section 47. Did you say 47? Yes, section 47. Okay, just wanted to make sure you said 47. Anyway, the Romulans are there now, which just happens to be where that booby trap panel will kill O'Brien sometime in the future. Wait, did you say booby trap? Yes, booby trap. Anyway, the booby trap will be planted in a panel in section 47 soon-ish. We need to be on top of that but casually. Odo has been watching the corridor. Nobody has been in there, but someone somehow did beam the weapon into a wall panel, a real technical trick to be sure. He doesn't know who did it or exactly how, but he's looking into everyone, especially the Klingons. That's great news for Chief O'Brien. He's in the Barth Bashir, contemplating just how lucky he is that they caught the booby trap in time, until he finds himself in the future again, walking into the infirmary and looking at his own corpse on an examination table. Act 4. So here's present O'Brien in the future, looking at dead O'Brien from the future and asking Dr. Bashir just what happened. The doctor says the original diagnostic missed something. The radiation damage was worse in his brain than expected. Here's what's cool, though. O'Brien can bring a message from the future doctor back to present doctor when he jumps again, problem solved, maybe. O'Brien returns to his correct time, five hours in the past, and immediately goes unconscious. In those empty quarters in Section 47, Odo points out to Cisco that he found the technology they've been looking for. It wasn't a transporter. It was a replicator designed with some highly specialized surveillance equipment from a place that supplies a lot of tech to the Klingons. The booby trap was just there to keep anybody from messing with it. So the Klingons are suspect. In fact, they are intelligence operatives from the highest levels, according to a well-placed source, and Oda will have them detained so he can question them. Meanwhile, O'Brien wakes up and gives his message, future Bashir's message, to Bashir of the present. He'll do a basilar arterial scan that will keep the chief from dying in just a few hours. The Klingons are taken to confinement, about as expected, and Odo is outsmarting them with the threat of calling up their superiors at Klingon intelligence to reveal that, well, they didn't exactly succeed in their mission. Chief O'Brien is back to almost 100% himself. Bashir has gotten rid of nearly all the isotopes, and in one more treatment, there should be no more time shifting. Now on to the matter of that mysterious singularity. They've tracked it to something orbiting the station in an elliptical pattern, but they still don't know what it is or how they can get rid of it. All they know for sure is that at some point in its orbit, that's what sets off O'Brien's time shifts just as it does right now. The chief finds himself on a runabout, watching his future self launch into space with a bunch of people seemingly trying to get far away from DS9. When O'Brien asks O'Brien what happened, he says he doesn't know, just that he was awakened by an explosion and started evacuating whomever he could find. As they pull away, the entire station behind them blows up real good. O'Brien shifts back to the present, where he tells Cisco they've got a whole new problem to deal with. Act 5. O'Brien tries to tell the others what he saw in the future. A bunch of explosions, no ships that he could tell. He doesn't have much to go on. All they can do is quietly, calmly prepare for the possibility of an evacuation. The chief has an idea, though. He might be able to force a time jump by flooding his body with those dangerous isotopes. The doctor even going so far to adjust the decay rate so he can jump just three rather than five hours ahead. The doctor has rigged up a way to get him there and back, a little armband that will shoot him up. But the radiation will still do a number on his body. It's a risk he'll have to take. It works. He's in the future, a bit worse for wear, in his quarters, waking his future self up. They've got to get to the bottom of what destroys DS9. As soon as they get to ops, a Romulan warbird decloaks and starts unleashing destruction on the station. That's the whole thing. The singularity is what powers Romulan ships, and this one has sat cloaked this whole time, just waiting to do away with DS9. O'Brien tells his past self that he has to get back to his time and warn the others. It's too late, though. Past O'Brien is dying from the radiation and he hands over the doctor's armband to future O'Brien to take his place. The return trip works, with O'Brien from three and a half hours in the future, assuming the role of the O'Brien we just lost. He explains to Cisco what's going on, so Cisco can lay the smackdown on the Romulans. Guess what, guys? We know about your warbird. We know you're worried about the Dominion, and we know what you're here to do. Why not just destroy the wormhole, then destroy DS9 so the whole thing looks like an accident? And guess what? DS9 has 50 photon torpedoes aimed right at your ship. So maybe you should leave now. And the Romulans do just that. In Quark's Bar now, the present future Chief O'Brien is playing darts with Dr. Bashir. More accurately, he's watching Bashir play a game that they've already played in the alternate future timeline. Miles calls out where Bashir's next throw lands, and then he says he feels like maybe he doesn't belong here until Bashir reminds him that he is the same Miles O'Brien, just maybe with a couple of extra memories the other one didn't have. Miles decides to go back to his quarters to bed, but before he leaves, he passes by Quark and just says, Dabo, right before the players at a table a few feet away scream out, Dabo! The end.
0: Man, that was a lot. Well done.
2: Thank you. That's a lot. And you know what? It's interesting uh, uh, reading the commentary on this episode in Terry Erdman's book uh, where Ira talks about hiring John to write it. And everybody was really pleased. They, They knew that this was a difficult task. In order to keep the plot and the time jump straight, uh, so everybody was really pleased with that. J- just like laying out the plot, laying out, getting everything kind of right. So, so thank you because I was—I had this framework to deal with where they had done the hard work ahead of time.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was, it's, uh, it was definitely a difficult one to. Uh, I, I'll, I'll put it this way: I'm glad it wasn't my week for the recap. <laughs> right. It, it did raise a question for me, though. Yeah. Uh, what would you call yourself if you saw yourself someplace uh, uh, hey you see uh, yeah. maybe maybe I like that <laughs> yeah. one a lot because when Miles says Miles in the hallway mm-hmm. yeah, it, it just it, it was weird that he would be that familiar with himself in a way I mean nobody's going to be more familiar with him than him but like uh, honestly the way he woke up like when Miles came to his bed yeah yeah and then Miles who had been sleeping said not you again I think that's actually probably what I would be like the, like the first time. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'd be like, I'd probably do my best, you know, Archie Bunker. Just like, oh, geez, look at this one. Yeah, And yeah. probably be me, you know, calling me. I, I, or maybe things that we can't say on the podcast. Because I really don't. I'd be like, hey, Ken. You know, because I'd be like, wow. Yeah. You, you, that, really? You call me Ken? That's all. Right.
2: <laughs> right. Exactly. I would just call myself Ray.
0: Oh, that's that's a good idea. That's
2: what I would do. That's a little uh, that's a little uh, in joke. That's just a little shout out to all the listeners.
0: Save on confusion.
2: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Hey, uh, the first thing the Romulans show up and they're like, we don't care about accommodations. We're here for a meeting like they've been traveling who knows how long. But I'm like, they're going to be at DS9 for two days. They should see the spa. They should see the pool. They should ease into the meeting. Or, or do they just, like, is it like when you travel in an RV? We already have nice accommodations. We're just here for work, and then we'll go back to our own place where we've got our own spa.
0: See, I was wondering about that. Like, were they sleeping on their ship? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It seems like you would do that. I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't either. Um, hey, I'm glad to see the return of space darts. We know it'll be a, a somewhat permanent fixture now in Quarks. Uh, just waiting for the, the, the launch of space lawn darts. I wonder if they ever considered that when they were, uh, it's an interesting idea. This. Actually, you, mm-hmm. you
0: start on DS nine and then the lawn is actually down on Bejor.
2: <laughs> right. And, and you just, yeah, these darts takes a, like a week to land. And it's like, ow, no. ow. Yeah. yeah.
0: And you have uh-huh. to radio ahead. Like, okay, seriously, clear out. Cause I'm yeah. not good at this. So you're going to want to yeah. clear out like a, like a mile, mile and a half. Um, here's, here's the thing. When, when Quark said, uh, you know, people buy bacon and eggs. Nobody buys darts. Uh, I I know a bar in L.A. He should visit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because the place that we went because we went to a friend's birthday relatively recently, and it's like uh, oh they got all these games, and they're like oh, for yeah. rent. They're for rent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's not like yeah, you know, it's like like you know uh, coffee shops and bars that you used to go to. It's like oh yeah, I've got a stack of games over there. Play, have fun. Because you know the longer you're there, you know playing games, the more drinks you're buying, the more coffee you're buying, whatever. So they're fine with that, right? Sure. Exactly. This this place is like, yeah, well, okay, you'll be here longer and you'll be buying more drinks, but you'll also be paying for every minute that you're playing the game.
2: (laughs) It's a very, it's a very Quark attitude. Well, I would think
0: so. Yeah. Yeah. Just like, you know, rent the darts to people or, you know, have darts that you can sell. Oh, sure. You can use the crappy public darts or Mm -hmm. I have these, you know, latinum lace darts or something. Not laced, I guess. But yeah, yeah. I mean, Quark's missing a trick here. I can't believe I have to tell a Ferengi how to make money on darts.
2: (laughs) And well, and, and wait a minute. He insists that uh, that people buy bacon and eggs. Again, I thought there was a replicator. There's a rep, replica mat like around the corner. You could just go in there and uh, I'll have bacon and eggs, please. Not Riker's eggs. I, I want the good replicated eggs.
0: Yeah, that is, that is weird because everybody buys drinks, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. Do, like, do uh, the Starfleet people buy drinks?
2: Yeah, I, I don't know. It, again, unless it's just about uh, sort of the the value of IP, the value of information. Quark's got the recipes, he's got them copyrighted, and he's just really good about stamping out anybody who would transmit that recipe to another replicator somewhere. That's the yeah, only I, I way
0: c- it could make sense. I can't see anything that Quark makes being that good, though. He's not a chef.
2: No, no, but he might have bargained to get the really good recipes.
0: And yet he told uh, Kai Wen that he uh, that he made like it was his creation, the Kai Win, which was that, uh, you know, that mm. that dessert thing from a few yeah. weeks back. You know, the episode where yeah. they killed Beryl. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. He, he was like yeah, making dessert about time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> about time. That's, that's not, that's not you you nice know. at all.
2: No, I just look, they needed to get rid of a rile. Hey, uh, speaking of things that cost money, he says, uh, when that dart lands on Warren, do you know how much money an eye costs? Well, I don't quark because I thought medical services were free. Uh, in the 24th century,
0: again, if you're Federation,
2: yeah, well, they, they've got a Federation doctor right there in the infirmary.
0: Okay, yeah, but I don't see a I don't see a communicator on quark
2: well so you can't just like well, well Cork does use a communicator somehow to call odo so i'm just going to say Morn is probably to be like in his you know very calm mourn like way he's just going to go up to the infirmary and and get checked out and it's not like bashir is going to be saying nope you're not a member of the federation you don't have that good federation insurance we're going to turn you away
0: uh okay <laughs> you know, I hope you're right, but we also out. don't know. It's never been talked yeah. about, has it? Well, the mm-hmm. very first episode, the very first episode of, uh, of, of TNG, did the doctor not say, what, like, put it on my tab or bill it to me or something uh, like that, that? That
2: was for, that was for fabric. Yeah, well, yeah, right, true. but I mean, it's, yeah. still a,
0: it's still a thing that you got to buy, right? I mean,
2: yeah. Yeah. they're on
0: the frontier. If you're operating outside of the Federation, then, you know, you can show up and say, oh, yeah, well, we don't use money. And then the first thing that Quark's going to say is, "Well, we do <laughs> now. We do." Yeah. And so then, when Quark <laughs> yeah. comes up, you know, for his you know sweet free health care, does the Federation say, "Well, okay, but it's going to be free drinks from now on." I mean, are we working on the barter system at that point, or yeah. do you do, does he have to pay so that you can then go to Quark's and give him his money back?
2: Yeah. I, well, see. There you go. This is a whole. This is a very complicated thing.
0: It is a very complicated thing. Um, I will say really quickly. I love Armin Shimmerman. I love him. I'm not always crazy about Quark, but mm-hmm. I love the way that he's played more often than not. Uh, the mm-hmm. dart scene is stupid, and if I had read it on paper, I would have been like, "Well, that's not going to work," and I laughed every time. <laughs> There's yeah. something. Yeah, right. I, I think it's because you. I mean, it, it, it happened so suddenly. It, mm-hmm. He did not prep. He did not do anything. You don't see it coming. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't the part where Morn had them like in like stuck in him. Oh, that's kind of funny. But but the comedy was just like Quark, just like hurling all the darts at once.
2: Yes. And, and so offhanded. And uh, it, like you're saying, it, Star Trek has a difficult relationship with comedy. Uh, doesn't always work, but he's he's gifted. So Yeah. yeah. Um Hey, uh, since the Romulans let us borrow a cloaking device, and since we've been aware of them and seen them and touched them for, oh, about 100 years in (laughs) in Star Trek history, uh, did anybody on the Federation side at any point uh, take any pictures, uh, measurements, uh, scan it, you know, get get any useful information so you don't have to call the Romulans? Now, I'm not saying that I advocate the use of a cloaking device, but... But I'm just saying it's a thing you might know about.
0: Well, and then the other question I have is the Klingons have had cloaking devices for quite a while. Why are we going to the Romulans?
2: Oh, sure. Well, the Klingons are getting them from the Romulans.
0: Well, okay, I, but the Klingons yeah. have them. They, they have my them. my point. Or we could just yes. say like,
2: hey, we could borrow that. And,
0: right. Yeah. Exactly. And if the Klingons are like, oh, no, no, but we promised and you know, we're <laughs> honorable, then we could be like, yeah, well, remember that time on Praxis? I mean, you know, there are all kinds of things that we could do to make that. I'm just saying, you know, we might be able to, you know, just throw something and be like, what was that noise? And then when the Klingon turns around, you quickly take all the pictures that you're talking about and stuff like that.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. See, I like that idea. Hey, uh, question for you, because I know that you're a fan. Uh, Better bar fight, Trouble with Tribbles or Quark's Bar and Visionary?
0: Uh, Quark's Bar and Visionary. No question. Yeah, Yeah. because that fight ended and, and the Trouble with Tribbles fight pretty sure is still going on.
2: <laughs> it is, it is indeed. Yeah. Hey, uh, there is the mention. I, I believe <laughs> who, who is it that says that all these quarters are vacant? It, it's when uh, Cisco says that uh, Odo, or, or I, I forget exactly who said it, but yeah. Again, DS Nine, they're running it. It's like a Vegas hotel during the off season. There's just like hundreds of rooms for free. I, yeah. Again, just so so strange that there's all this free space.
0: It also raises a question again from last week: Why did Zach need Quark's quarters, and why did Quark have to bunk with Rom?
2: Precisely. Yeah. Because there were a bunch
0: of quarters apparently, and then Zach just like moves into Quark's quarters and gives away all his stuff.
2: <laughs> right. That's the way it works. Yeah. Um, uh, now o- Odo is the one who suggested to Cisco uh, suggest we place a surveillance device in the corridor so they didn't have one there already because sometimes like it seems like there are surveillance devices when we need them Mm -hmm. but but there's not one just in the public corridor (laughs) at this point well you know
0: there are surveillance devices when we need them and there are not surveillance devices when we need them to not be
2: right yes yeah that's that's how it it works Yeah. yeah okay Um, Man, I I love, of course, I had to mention it in the recap, but Section 47 and the Habitat ring literally spoken twice within two lines of dialogue. That's I mean, my my hat is off to them for just doubling down on this. Well done.
0: Yeah. Speaking of doubling down, they are really leaning into the Kira Odo relationship and they're really leaning into Odo's network of informants because he did that last week as well. I want to say. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Like a, you know,
0: a friend's cousin's brother's custodial supervisor told me. And I get Cisco's impatience. I will say, though, I do appreciate Odo showing his work.
2: Yes. Yeah. You have to. Yeah. Cause exactly. Cisco
0: might have been like, how do you know? And Odo would be like, I just know. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> At well, least and, I can, I can footnote the whole thing.
2: And in that scene where they're talking about the, the technology that winds up on board, I love Cisco's deductive reasoning. Either the Romulans will put something in the bulkhead or someone else will. It's, well, yeah, you pretty much narrowed it down. <laughs>
0: it's not wrong. Yeah. To,
2: to the Romulans or everyone else. Yeah. Uh,
0: I love, by the way, uh, you were talking about the corridor a minute ago. Um, mm-hmm. So Odo is going to check behind the panel to see if something's going to kill him. And, and he says, if you gentlemen will step down the corridor, I'll open the panel and take a look. Don't worry, I'll be careful. Because I feel certain one of you was going to tell me to be careful, weren't you? <laughs> weren't you really? It was, it was a weird delivery of that line. But what's funny is, later, Odo goes to do something, and Cisco says, uh, constable, be careful. And I'm like, oh, he was just training him.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> now, now he got sick. Yeah. <laughs> exactly.
0: All right, I'm supposed to tell you to be careful, because you get kind of, well, you get kind of you, don't you, when I don't, uh, when I don't say be careful.
2: Since we we're talking about funny things that sometimes land or don't land in Star Trek. Th- this one landed for me every time uh, when Cisco says to Odo, you think Quark had something to do with this? And Odo says, I always investigate Quark. <laughs> like it was just not overplayed, but it just totally right. And then you, you leave the scene after that moment. You don't need to sit around and talk about that. Um, another bit that, well, not funny, but funny to me uh, Miles says to Dr. Bashir, Doctor, there's a message in my quarters for Keiko in case. And just, I'm thinking, who? uh why 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 (laughs) you know um
0: nice here's the thing it's all just stuff he didn't do while she was gone yeah right (laughs) that's probably what it is like yeah i couldn't fix that leak i'm sorry and that thing still squeaks i'm sorry and uh
2: yeah dear dear keiko i had a proper irish breakfast every morning that you've been gone
0: (laughs) right tell what's her name i said grow up fine i'm out yeah
2: <laughs> right and do you think that they would talk about this at all like yeah she's just down on bajor she's not in the gamma quadrant you could send a message do you think that at some point he got home and is like hey keiko how was your day so here's something weird um i've been jumping in time for five hours at a time don't worry about it yeah but this is what's happening
0: yeah, you know, this goes back actually to uh, the episode with Armus. I can't remember um, the one where Denise Crosby's character, or where where uh, uh, Tasha Yar died. Oh,
2: uh, Skin of Evil. Skin
0: sure. of Evil. That's yeah. what it is. Skin of Evil. It reminds me of that when we were doing that, and she had you know recorded that "In Case I Die" message. You remember? Yes. And, and you were like, yeah. "Do they do yes, that like course. all the time? And does everybody <laughs> right. do that, or is it just her? Yeah, it's the kind of thing. Do you think Miles just like every day that Keiko's not there? Oh, you yeah. Another letter, like in case it. I die. Because yeah. Yeah, that would stink. I will say it, it's funny to me how quickly uh, and easily everybody got used to a second Miles popping in and out of time. <laughs> you know, to the point that Bashir is basically waiting for Miles to show up so he can tell Miles to tell past Bashir what to do to save Miles. And and really, if that's his plan, how was that guy up for the Carrington?
2: Oh. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I don't know. I, I kind of like how uh, how calmly they all took it. Like, I, I Miles is a very relatable character. Yeah. And I, I think that me seeing my corpse on a slab, I, I would just – I would be in the fetal position crying. Uh, so that would be the first reaction. And then the other part of it with, with Dr. Bashir, like, I, I would need some sort of uh, consolement. I would need something not just waiting to say, like, yeah, well, I tried. And, uh, yeah, you just uh, – You didn't make it. But look, there's something cool and fun about the miles that we have from now on being miles from three and a half hours in the future. It's like a little better than Max Headroom being 20 minutes in the future. You got miles from three and a half hours in the future. But I wondered... Does everybody around him, do they have inside jokes now? They're like, they, they laugh about something and he's like, what? What were they? <laughs> no, you, you wouldn't get it. You were, you were missing for that three and a half hours that we were doing that, you know? Or can he use it to get out of arguments with Keiko? Like she's, she's chastising him for something. and He's like, well, I, you know, I realize that, but I've been to the future now. So that doesn't apply to me.
0: Or go back to the thing that we talked about last week where he said it would take a week, but of course he's already three and a half hours ahead, so it should really only take six days and change.
1: Time is strange today. I just bumped into myself in the Mission Log Green Room. Awkward. Does not begin to describe it.
0: We'll get back to Visionary in a moment, but first, a word from Mint Mobile. If you're still using one of the big wireless
2: providers, have you asked yourself what you're paying for? Between expensive retail stores, inflated prices, and hidden fees, you're probably being taken advantage of because
0: they know you'll pay. This is where Mint Mobile comes in. Mint Mobile provides the same premium network coverage you are used to, but at a fraction of the cost, because everything is online. Mint Mobile saves on retail locations and overhead, then passes those savings directly to you.
2: Uh, We've each been trying it out over the last few weeks, and it's been really impressive, truly. Uh, Ken, when I first moved to L.A., I had one of the the big four, one of the big providers, and uh, my service was awful. (laughs) And it was particularly bad because it was awful, like in my place, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, Um, but I have to say testing out different carriers, testing out different situations, uh, everything that I have done with my mint SIM card has been great Uh, surfing the web, streaming music video. It all works exactly the way you would expect, but for a lot less money
0: every month. Mint Mobile makes it easy to cut your wireless bill to as little as 15 bucks a month. Every plan comes with unlimited nationwide talk and text. And with Mint Mobile, you're paying for the amount of data you need. Choose between plans with 3, 8, or 12 gigabytes of 4G LTE data. You keep your phone, you keep your number, and you keep more of your money.
2: So to get your new wireless plan started at about 15 bucks a month... And get the plan shipped to your door for free. Go to mintmobile.com slash mission log. That's mintmobile.com slash mission log. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash mission log. And thank you to Mint Mobile for sponsoring this week's episode of Mission Log.
0: So there was lots of talk of um, fate in our episode on destiny. Mm. And I think because we just hit that a couple of weeks ago, I found myself thinking a lot about fate in this episode. Okay. O'Brien knows what's going to happen in ways that Cisco didn't know what was going to happen. He had fears of what was going to happen. O'Brien knows what's going to happen, and he knows a few times, actually, it ends with his death, uh, but he presses on. He, you know, he he tries to change it, and of course, by knowing what's going to happen, he is able to change it, but... I mean, he saw it happen, and, and what I'm wondering is, are we dealing with like you know multiverses here a la parallels are are we having <laughs> it reminded me a lot of one of my favorite episodes as well of uh, of t n g uh, Time squared, except O'Brien is in a better position than either Cisco from last week or Picard from a few years ago because he is seeing every single piece of it, and what sting is every single piece of it ends with him dying, and yet you know he's not on a shuttle, trying to get as far away from Deep Space Nine as he can to make sure that he's not in the place where he's going to end up getting shot. He's not in Odo's brig. I mean, he's still going around, you know, doing all the stuff he needs to do.
2: Yeah. Uh, Which would be my first impulse. Get as far away from that thing as you possibly can. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely.
2: Yeah. Um, Well, it's interesting. You brought up a a couple of uh, interesting ideas here, one of which is, uh, are we dealing with a multiverse situation? And it's kind of whenever we deal with a time travel story, it's always going to be wibbly wobbly. Like you go back to Back to the Future and you go, "Okay, well, Marty is creating a separate and distinct Timeline, But does that other timeline still exist somewhere for some reason? You know, is there another timeline where he didn't change the past, where his parents didn't end up being cool or where he didn't succeed in his mission? And uh, he just gets wiped out from that photograph and uh, his hand disappears along with the rest of his body when he's playing at the Enchantment Under the Sea Dance. We may never know. These are all stories to be explored in Back to the Future novels. But yeah, it, it seems like it seems like what the show wants to have you believe is that every time Miles makes a choice and somehow changes the future, that he is changing the one and only timeline. It feels like that anyway to me, uh, because you theoretically have a timeline where DS9 blows up because a Miles somewhere along this path didn't succeed, didn't make the right choice, uh, didn't jump exactly three and a half hours into the future, uh, or didn't make it back for some reason. And the Romulans just carried on. And, and they destroyed the wormhole, and they destroyed d s nine uh so y- you could kind of go with that but the the show's position at least here is nope, we're we're on this one timeline, and all these minute changes are changing this one timeline, therefore we just get to go forward with the the new future boy miles from three and a half hours in the future
0: so See, i think he's actually i think he's actually from a different timeline i don't feel like the i don't really feel like the show established that there is just one timeline i mean there are the people that we know living in the timeline that we're living in but i mean we know that deep state deep space nine blew up because we saw it blow up we, yeah. we know that miles dies because we saw him die now miles from the past saw him die as well so now he will try to thread his timeline so that that's not how that ends but i mean it did happen he has the memory of of touching uh his own you know uh, throat looking for his uh looking for his pulse i mean so it,
2: would you w- would you posit then that everything after this episode is not just new miles mm-hmm. but it, it's new ds9 timeline
0: well it's always new everything timeline isn't it i mean literally you get up on the wrong side of the bed Right. Mm-hmm. Sliding Doors was an interesting uh, in in my memory. And I honestly do not remember that movie very well at all. But I remember being sort of impressed by the presentation of and that's a Gwyneth Paltrow movie. I mean, it, and I never thought I would say, oh, no, check that out if you want to talk about time travel. <laughs> but I mean, it, I mean, it, it just any little thing creates a new timeline, right? I mean, that's... Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can't remember. I've seen movies that probably don't know anything about it, you know, quoting the quoting the Kabbalah, where it's like, you know, uh, when you kill one person, you don't just kill that one person, you destroy an entire universe. You know, well, I mean, yeah. I mean, that's kind of true, yes. right? Yes, every timeline right. is brand new for a DS9. Uh, Parallels is a great example of that. I mean, there was the one where it's like, the only thing that was different was that Data's eyes were blue. And probably there was something else different as well. But, I mean, it, what was weird about the about the episode Parallels is, you know, you move over one step and one thing is a little different. But then you move over another step and then a few more things are different until, you know, in the end you've got one where the Borg have taken over and people are practically feral animals because they want to get away from it and because mm-hmm. there's so little left. So, I, I feel like... For everybody that we've watched in the timeline that we've watched them, everything is fine, except, funny enough, for Miles. Because he's from a different timeline now. I like the fact that in the end, he's like, somehow I feel like I don't belong here. I'm not kidding when I say I don't know whether this is ever going to come back as a thing he experiences or feels. I doubt it, because it's only three and a half hours. But I would also get it. And that would be an interesting thing. That would honestly be a Joss Whedon kind of thing to do. Where, like, you know, three years from now or three seasons from now, somebody will mention, you know, President Vlaherg or something like that. And Miles <laughs> is like, who? <laughs> because he's from a completely different place. Or he mentions President Vlaherg because he's from a different place. Who knows? Uh, anyway, from
2: Zebulon 4, I believe. Uh,
0: uh, I don't think that was him. Yeah. I, I, I want to say no? Vlaherg. President Vlaherg. Yeah. I, I want to say Vlaherg was actually from Hitchhikers.
2: Oh, okay. okay. But I couldn't be there wrong. I don't there know. There we go. There so, okay. Yeah. I
0: mean, what's interesting is we ended up getting onto a whole thing about uh, time travel and timelines and splits and things like that. I was more thinking about, you know, operating against fate. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Talk to me about Cisco's decision to leave the Romulans where they were. On the one hand, he might be able to find out who the bad guy is or, you know, who, you know, for all we know, the bad guy who hasn't done anything yet isn't really bad, sort of like a precog thing. Mm. On on the other hand, he was considering changing his course of action a couple of weeks ago based on vague words, right? Based on prophecy. Here, he will risk something that he knows is going to happen in the future as much as you can know that anything's going to happen in the future. He leaves everything as it is. Miles O'Brien dies in at least one timeline. But he's like, I think he literally says, I want to see how this plays out, (laughs) which strikes me as sort of a cavalier attitude for a guy who was, you know, willing to read tea leaves a couple of weeks ago and decide whether or not he should continue with his course of action.
2: Well, essentially, speaking of all these paths untaken, there could be a Cisco somewhere in another timeline who, even given all this information, Uh, by Miles and by future Miles, uh, who chose a different course of action. He didn't tell the Romulans to get out, uh, but rather, I I don't know, invited them to stay or did something very out of step with what we see in this actual episode. I think the thing that happens here is that we we get a track record. We have it's either five or six jumps in the end here with this O'Brien. And it is a measurable, trackable, controllable thing by the time we get to the end of it, where the information that's been provided has been valuable. So I I would think that I would hope that if I were in Cisco's position, I would go, OK, all of these things have proved out. We've been able to actually gain new knowledge or change what would have happened. Uh, particularly when you look at the uh, the booby trap hashtag booby trap. Um, so I, I I think his his decision at the end makes sense. It's like we have the evidence that we need vis a vis this warship sitting out here cloaked, um, and when we met that perceived threat with showing them a perceived threat by even just saying we have photon torpedoes aimed at it and they agree that it's time to go great it's time to go um i don't know that there's much more of a conversation that needs to happen after that i don't know that i disagree with uh I, I don't think this is out of step with the 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 cisco who had his experience in destiny a couple of weeks ago
0: well, no. The one thing, the one thing that I'm thinking about though is he is leaving a loaded gun behind that panel, and he knows that in a timeline that ended with somebody dying, that ended with somebody he mm-hmm. knows dying. It's not even like the whole oh, just push the button and somebody dies. I mean, it's, not, it's, it's Chief O'Brien who will be laying there dead. Yeah, yeah. And he could make sure that at the very least, Chief O'Brien wouldn't be laying there dead if you move them someplace else where they might be able to keep an easier eye on it, right? I mean, it's just just interesting to think about because, I mean, as we started this conversation, your first inclination would be to, you know, I've seen the future where this house falls on me. Okay, well, I'm going to not be in that house at that time. And yet, you know, for some reason, you have to be in the house at that time, and then you're just going to hope that you've done something to keep the house from falling on you. O'Brien keeps going back in, I mean, he keeps he keeps putting himself in what he knows is harm's way. And it's just interesting to see to see that kind of treatment of I mean, again, you can't really call it fate because it doesn't actually happen, except it does happen in another timeline because we've seen it happen. See, this is what I would end up doing. I I would maybe that's why I identify so much with Picard and in Times Squared, because I would spend the whole time going, wait a minute. I can't remember. Did I get up on the left side of the bed or the right side of the bed? Because that can change everything. So maybe I I shouldn't even go to bed. Or maybe I should just go back to bed right now and not get up at all. I mean, there are so many. And Miles is just like, yeah, well, you know, it kind of looks like I might die. But there's... Something I got to do, so I'm going to go do it.
2: Did Did you uh, watch the miniseries Eleven, Twenty, Two, Sixty Three? Uh, I did not. So, starring James Franco, but based on the Stephen King. I guess it was a short story. It wasn't a.
0: a no, full I think it was a novel. novel. I think it was a gigantic it was a novel. novel. I think it was oh, well, a ridiculously okay. huge, like one of those. If you don't have time to iron, just put oh, a okay. book down on top just of it and it goes okay. out.
2: Yeah, cool. Well, uh, very engaging miniseries, and uh, sort of the mantra of that show is that the. Uh, History pushes back. So if you go back into time, as is the premise of the show, this guy lands in like 1960, but he's going to wait it out until November 22nd, 1963 to try to prevent the assassination of John Kennedy. Um, But for every positive step that he makes to try to get himself there and prevent these things from happening, something worse will happen in the way. To sort of set history right and th- there was something uh, almost very refreshing about this it was a very dark story and and there are some horrific moments in it uh, but there was something very refreshing about watching this take on time travel because the stakes are high and and we're fighting for the the very survival of ds9 and everybody in it not just miles's personal story here um But they are all able to affect some sort of positive change. They are able to actually say, "Okay, we'll we'll fix this thing and we'll actually uh, uh, the doctor can discover uh, with the corpse of Miles O'Brien. Oh, that's what went wrong. Tell yourself in the past to do this, you know, and every step of the way. Yeah, we we are still building up toward the uh, the ultimate problem at the end. Uh, which is the Romulans were there to blow this place up no matter what. Uh, But every step along the way, we're actually working toward the best possible resolution.
1: With all that Miles has been through in this episode, I think he should round it off with breakfast at Ways. That was a lot.
2: Ken, way back, like, three hours ago when we started this episode, I I could tell, I I could see it, uh, plain as day, that we would arrive at this segment where we try to wrap it all up, see if it holds up, and uh, parse the meanings, morals, and messages. And, And as my prediction stands, yes, we've arrived at that point. We're here now. Past me and you, we've arrived here in the future, and the future is uh, talking about the episode, and whether or not
0: it stands up. Okay, here's the problem. I'm wondering, mm-hmm. though, if you are now a John champion from a different timeline, because you're the one who tried to keep us from doing this show earlier. <laughs> that's,
2: that's true, yes. So I'm actually the John from four and a half hours oh, in the future. Got fun. rid of that, that other John from three and a half hours. He was... Awful. He was insufferable.
0: Yeah. You yeah. need to tell somebody which couch you hid him under, by the way, because yeah. custodial needs to get to that.
2: Yeah. So, Ken, uh, I pose it to you. How about the episode is taken as a production? Does the episode hold up?
0: Yes. Yes. I mean, yes, the episode absolutely holds up. Um, the stakes are high. The Romulans are actually menacing. Um, if I had a complaint, everybody gets off a little bit too easy at the end. Odo's going to look the other way on the Klingon spies doing stuff that could seriously get somebody killed. In fact, did get somebody killed in one timeline on DS9. Um, With everyone aware that the Romulans were going to blow up DS9 and collapse the wormhole, they get to walk. But, you know, that tends to be how Star Trek does things. You know, if you're the bad guy, you will get away to be a bad guy again. Really don't worry about it. Um, The time travel stuff was not goofy to me. It was, it, was, it was very well done. The action was good. Uh, it gave us a lot of philosophical stuff to chew on. Um, even the comedy worked. It, it even started in a weird way. Like, what I honestly thought from the very first shot, what I thought was that O'Brien had been kidnapped. And that he was going to be, like, you know, gaslit this whole time about what was really going on. This, this I think, is just an incredibly solid episode. Uh, the multiple times I watched it, I did not begrudge having to watch it yet again to make, you know, whatever notes. This episode, um, yes, is, is, I thought, uh, absolutely holds up. What about you?
2: Yeah, uh, everything you said, um, the, the, this is one of those where certainly the rewatchability is great. I, I enjoyed going back and making notes because there are always little details, not that I had missed, but just sort of flowed together even better uh, when you rewatch it, you kind of know what's happening. So um, it, it's entertaining. It's fun. Uh, The drama is dramatic, Uh, not that it's heavy, it's not a heavy character piece like we've seen in in some in the past, Uh, but it's a dramatic action piece. The time travel here is not just a, a fun plot contrivance where it's like, well... Let's just set the enterprise to go back in time and do this fun thing. No, the, the time travel here is a problem, um, and, and I like to see them deal with that. And, and uh, for you and I to be able to weigh out, okay, well, are you actually changing the outcome, or are you just sort of changing the conditions around that outcome that is inevitable? Where, where are we going to land with all of this stuff? Colomini uh, is great. And we probably don't say that enough because people like René Auberjonois and Armin Schirmerman really stand out. Uh, But when you hand something heavy to uh, uh, the Miles O'Brien character, you really get uh, a lot out of it. Um, This is a bottle show, as I mentioned earlier, but it doesn't feel like that at all. It doesn't feel like they're just trying to save money. Uh, It feels like there's a lot happening. The pacing is terrific um i can't find fault with any of this it, yeah. it's just it's a really strong episode it's interesting to me that one of the complaints that i read from uh one of the writers and producers just sort of saying like yeah it, it's a good episode but it's an episode that you could have plugged into any of the other series and i i think that's actually a good thing. It means that the premise is strong, <laughs> no yeah. matter what. You could write, yes, I could see this being played out with Riker. Or I could see it being played out with, you know, pick a character. And, and you could do that in another series. I think the problem with Next Gen is that they did a lot of timey-wimey things. They did it very well with parallels. Uh, they did it with time squared. So they did this kind of thing maybe one too many times and this would have just been like okay you're going back to the well again but we have a new context to play with this time travel paradigm and it just works it just works um so that's a lot of praise for the action the drama uh the pacing of the show what about morals meanings messages or or fun things to chew on here
0: Well, I I didn't think about this, honestly, until we were talking last segment. But if you wanted to apply a moral to the fact that O'Brien keeps going back in, we don't have times where, you know, we get to go five years, uh, five, excuse me, five hours in the future and see exactly how something's going to go. And and thus, you know, either go that way or change it. But, I mean, you could certainly make an argument that... um, (laughs) No matter how tough things seem, it doesn't... I mean, there's still a reason to try. Hmm. O'Brien had every reason to believe that everything that he did was going to end in his death. But he kept trying, and he kept finding ways to avoid that. And so, I think you could... You mean, you could apply that as a moral. That's certainly not... They don't do the you see to me at the end of that's a moral. There was another thing that I picked up on. Um, The devil is the devil, you know? I mean, Mm. I I think people can change. I think nations can change. And sometimes it's for the worse, and sometimes it's for the better. Uh, The Romulans have not changed, and the Romulans have not pretended to change. The Romulans haven't said, no, 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 we're peace-loving now. This is all going to be great, right? So doing a strategic alliance with the Romulans may not have been the best thing in the world. I mean, what I wonder is, does an alliance like that, does it elevate the bad party or does it compromise the good party? Because Mm. the Romulans are like, Hey, you know, we gave you that thing you needed. So, um, what are you going to do for me now? And the things that they want done are not things that normally the Federation or Starfleet or, you know, a character that we would be following would be comfortable doing. Um, but they got in bed. Right. And so certain things are expected at that point. Um, which is kind of an interesting thing uh, to me. I mean, they're, they're really on the horns of a dilemma, but they put themselves uh, in that dilemma by doing a deal with people who have, who have really, I mean, have never given us a reason to want to do a deal with them.
2: Yeah, uh, that's, I guess if I were to nitpick uh, a problem with this episode, and you pointed it about the Klingons, they're... Just sort of let go. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I even thought about including that in the wrap up, just, you know, the end. Oh, and there's some Klingons who presumably are out of jail now and, and get to go home. Uh, it, but it really makes you wonder then about the Romulans. Well, here, they showed up ready to lay waste to all of this, get whatever intelligence they could, and then just make it look like uh, like none of this stuff ever existed. Um, those people now get to go back to the Romulan Empire and yeah. report on everything that they did. And not only report on it, but report on it with their spin. And we already know where they're coming from. Um, It's not a moral meaning or message, but I was really sort of frustrated and entertained, which is what they're going for here, out of every scene with the Romulans trying to interrogate Kira or uh, sort of apply their logic to the situation You know, they start off with this path. The founders are changelings, and they're the ones behind the Dominion. And uh, uh, Odo is a changeling. Therefore, he must be part of the Dominion. And Mm -hmm. and Sisko says, well, he's not one of the founders. I fail to see the distinction. (laughs) You know, they're just there. There's that solid Romulan logic. Uh, Funny to me, because I immediately thought of Kirk admonishing Lieutenant Stiles to leave any bigotry in your quarters. Uh, the first time we met the Romulans way back in TOS. Um, but I, I like Cisco coming back with, it's the truth, whether you choose to believe it or not. Um, so th- there was good interplay here. Again, not necessarily a moral meaning message, but we as the audience are given this uh, nice counterpoint, very obvious counterpoint uh, by seeing this bigoted, very rigid Use of uh, of this Romulan logic. Oh, and another thing here that was uh, kind of entertaining in it is uh, after they're just picking apart Kira and she gets worked up about it. uh, uh, Ruan says, you seem very agitated for someone who's proclaiming her innocence. yes (laughs) of course yes of course she is uh it kind of makes me wonder what those trials are like on the romulan homeworld probably a lot like they are on cardassia prime who knows
0: yeah i think that the kobayashi maru honestly is somebody saying to somebody else you seem defensive yeah yeah right that's a ball game right there that's a ball game
2: yeah yeah you're done you're done Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. You can find the Roddenberry Podcast Network at podcast.roddenberry.com. Go there and you'll find not just Mission Log and Mission Log Live, but Women at Warp, Priority One, The Trek Files, your daily Star Trek news, and Shabam. Shabam. If you'd like to support Mission Log directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash mission And for more Star Trek news
0: and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com on the next Mission Log Distant Voices
1: Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11 online at warp11.com and from the album Messages by Key Theory free to download at k-i-theory.com Well, I do not know about you but I think that that show went great now, let us start the show. And transmission. Podcast.roddenberry.com The Roddenberry Podcast Network.